Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 260, environmental scientist, author, adventurer and public speaker Tim Jarvis AM explains how he has linked his expeditions in Antarctica to his work supporting solutions for climate change and biodiversity loss. From recreating Ernest Shackleton's epic expedition to addressing world business leaders at global climate change events, Tim applies the same leadership and problem-solving ability. He also discusses the importance of understanding what individuals are motivated by in order to build messages that motivate change. This is Tim's version of Be The Drop, recorded live at New Day Summit. So you might notice a little bit of background music. Are you starting a podcast? Narrative Marketing delivers a full range of podcast production and training options. Visit narrativemarketing.com.au or hit the link in the show notes for more details. Tim, thank you so much. We're here at New Day and we're going to be talking about purpose and leadership. So I wanted to get us started so we can understand a little bit about Tim and I've just heard your presentation. So that's pretty epic. I've thrown that in there. Uh, You'll understand why later listeners. And I was sitting there thinking, why would you put yourself through that? But before we get into that, Let's understand a little bit about Tim by understanding a story or hearing something about you which has set you on a path and what's important to you and the journeys which have been quite incredible that you've been on. There's no instant answer to that one, but I think I do remember having a formative experience as a 12-year-old out in, in the bush where I grew up in Malaysia as a kid and I was with a group of other students. We got lost and I remember most of them panicking and me thinking, I have a compass. I think I know that we are east coast can't be that far away from where we are and it worked and we got to the coast and I thought I remember the camp we started off on was we traveled north to get here so it must be south so we go south and as a 12 year old I did that and it gave me a tremendous sense of 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 feeling confident and comfortable in my own skin in those environments and it began a long kind of love of the outdoors that led then to a career in kind of environmentalism if you like because I realized rapidly going to the more and more remote places just how far humanity's footprint extends and that made me feel that more needed to be done to try and protect it so the love of the outdoors came from formative life experiences that then led to the environmentalism and then ironically things have now gone full circle where I use the outdoor experiences the expeditions the adventure stuff and the leadership lessons from that to actually put forward environmental messaging almost by stealth on the back of the story Mm. so everything's kind of come come full circle Yes, and I like, I mean, my logo is an infinite symbol and I like the infinite connection of all of that. And I think realistically, that's something we all need to come to a realisation that we are all connected in one way or another and it will all come back full circle, continuous circles, however you want to see it. And as you were talking about that story, I remember in high school, I, I did orienteering at one point and at some, one point I was lost and then this person just stepped out from behind a tree I don't know one of the actual officials they were probably there the whole time but it doesn't sound as good she stepped out from behind a tree and said to me just remember that in the southern he- southern hemisphere moss grows on the south side of the trees 
And then she disappeared again. And I was like, oh, okay. Yoda. Very Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I like, you know, you those formative... I'll remember that now. Yeah. <laughs> it only works in the and Southern Hemisphere. I'll claim it. <laughs> but, you know, we, we draw from those experiences and they shape us in ways that we don't know how it will go. And it's interesting, you know, you've just talked about Shackleton's adventures in the Antarctic and how you recreated that. But for you, it wasn't also just, obviously, there was the reality of that expedition and the challenges and, and what you needed to plan for and put yourselves through. But the things that I liked that you took out of that was the purpose and the leadership and the way that in those extreme and potentially life-threatening in this scenario, how you can use those purpose and leadership. So I'm wondering if you could just share some of that with us today again. These events took place 100 years ago and, you know, many of the leadership lessons that he stood for I have been mentally kind of crunching and thinking, how do I repurpose those and apply them to my field of endeavour, which is environment and trying to trying to get some outcomes in the climate climate change space. And the thing about Shackleton that was so amazing was that really the expedition to which we're talking about it, it was really a, a failure. He he went down to try and cross Antarctica on foot. Ship gets crushed. The new expedition really was saving themselves, and. As you heard me say before, you know, the mission had now well and truly changed. They weren't going to cross Antarctica anymore. But he persuaded them that the vision was still totally intact. The vision was doing something memorable, something heroic, something together, pushing the boundaries of personally and, and geographically. And all of that was still perfectly achievable. It's just the new mission by which they were going to achieve that vision was was saving themselves. And really, he didn't realise it at the time, or we didn't call it that at the time, but this was really all about purposeful leadership. It was about really understanding why you were doing it. The what was the expedition, but the why was far more fundamental. And he persuaded them the new goal of saving themselves, still achieved the why, having distilled what it was. And it's just the what had changed and, and really nothing had changed. And, and I use those sort of lessons to talk to corporate organizations a lot and say, you know, if your DNA is about exploring for new sources of energy is the example I use for a fossil fuel company. You know, for the benefit of humanity, you can still do that. It's just that renewables are the new, the new mission, the new what. The why is completely unchanged. So it's about understanding your purpose, really, and, and drilling down into that. And it's interesting when you were talking about the importance of tangible and how that challenges the, the climate change conversation, for example, and the need to find something tangible this is a real challenge in the climate change conversation you know I suppose especially from the fact that one of the questions you most frequently get asked is is climate change real so how do you address that well it's very true I mean seeing is believing is the expression and and it obviously is it refers to something very human you know if you can't see it it's not it's not real and the difficulty with CO2 or any other greenhouse gases, they're just invisible in the atmosphere. So you want to make climate change real to someone, you have to show them something that means something to them in their lives. And you can't use polar bears dying because their ice is melting beneath them. If someone lives in Clifton Hill in Victoria and never sees a polar bear, I mean, it creates a bit of impact, but it's not real enough to necessarily see them change their behaviour day to day. You know, it's going to be something that really makes them think and makes them change the way they do things on a Thursday afternoon when they're tired of the working week or whatever. It can't be too obtuse. 
And so you've got to find things. And I remember a guy who who didn't want to have a bar of climate change, and then he noticed that the fish weren't biting in the river that he'd fished in since he was a young boy. And that, for him, was the kind of the the trigger that made him realise that something had fundamentally changed in the environment. And and you know, it just happens to be called climate change. You know, the, the creeks were a bit drier, a bit, the water was a bit saltier, uh, the fish just weren't there. That made all the difference for him. It made it real to him. So it's about finding these touch points that change the behaviour of the audience. And for each person, it's different. It's about finding out what that is. It's interesting because, in so my background is, is marketing and comms, and it is all around understanding that audience. And I often say to people, you can have a story, but depending on whether, you know, if I'm telling it to my son or my mum and dad or my mates at the pub, it's my same story, but I'm just going to tell it differently each time. The good news is that the whole way we'll save ourselves from from the climate change piece is really by marketing it more effectively. It's about understanding what individuals are motivated by, and that is a marketing and comms exercise. People often used to say, what would you say to Donald Trump when he was in charge in the US? You know, if you had 20 seconds in an elevator, what would you say to him to try and make him act on climate change? And I would just say, you know, are you interested in growing the American economy, jobs for America? If you are, Renewable energy is for you. I don't really care whether you believe in climate change, but there are one and a half million jobs in renewables and related industries and only 51,000 in coal, and that's rapidly going down. Which one do you want to back if you want to grow the economy and keep America strong, make America great again? You don't necessarily have to believe in climate change, but if you're interested in getting those things achieved, I've got something for you. You never even really have to mention the key words climate change. You just have to offer him a solution in a way that's palatable to him that he can follow without appearing to have U-turned on his previous policy position. It's about how you pitch it to people. And it's interesting, though, because I think in our hyper-connected social media world, etc., we can have people communicating on that same thing. Now, but and they're both supportive of the same outcome, but sometimes we're getting people attacking each other on the same camp. Like, it shouldn't be about money. It should be about saving the environment and, like, limiting the impact we have on it. But for me, I see that. They're the same... They're different conversations for the same outcome, but I think sometimes we miss the outcome and that confuses it and messes it. Look, I I agree with you. And look, I think that you can have two types of communication. You You can have the way that you outwardly communicate it to people to get the behavior change you need. And you can have the internal drivers and discussion you have with yourself and your peers as to the real reasons. I mean, and don't get me wrong, I, I want to save the planet for the sake of saving the planet. But if you are selling the notion to, say, for example, a superannuation fund or uh, an institutional investor, and you can say to him or her, look, I can offer you 7% return on your investment. Are you interested? And they say yes. And they needn't even necessarily... They don't even need to know what the broader reasons that you're doing it for are. They just need to know that, that renewable energy thing you're offering them is giving them a great rate on rate of return. For other people, they're more persuaded by a moral argument. For others, they're more concerned maybe if they're in more advanced years, maybe more interested in leaving a legacy of some description. Others may be, you know, concerned for some other reason. There are many different motivators. For example, you know, the organic food industry is really about the health of the individual with the kind of a co-benefit of the fact that the environment gets protected it's not necessarily the drivers for a lot of people in that 
who eat organic food are not necessarily about the health of the planet as much as they are about what they ingest and how many harmful chemicals and herbicides and pesticides they might be consuming or GM modified food. So you've just got to understand those those touch points. So I think it's okay to have two different narratives, the one you use publicly to get the outcome you want and the one that is the thing that drives you. Oh, look, I would love to see more multiple narratives on these complex problems because uh, I think you said in your, your presentation, people are motivated by different things. So there is not one narrative that's ever going to work. The thing that worries me is I see increasingly people jumping on and, and squashing narratives because it's not theirs. Yeah. I think we, I just want to see us lean into more going, the difference is great. We're still going to we're still trying to get to the same Well, people get outcome. very proprietorial about this stuff. You know, with the work that I do in the in the green space, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, who do you think you are being the only one who can save the planet? And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But, but you can very evidently tell that they see themselves as being a key player in that space and you're somehow impinging upon their intellectual property or something or, or their right to be the one. And I, I try and remain you know, distance from that whole argument. I don't want infighting. The message I like to put across is that we all have this incredible role to play. I mean, I go to the global climate talks and, you know, collectively, the, all the world's countries have amassed this $10 billion in the Green Climate Fund to fight climate change. But here in Australia, in in, in mum and dad's super funds, we have we have $2 trillion. We have 200 times the amount of purchasing power in, the, in these superannuation funds that that the United Nations Green Climate Fund has, having been contributed to by all the world's countries to combat that issue. So each of us have it within our means to play our part in decarbonising our investment portfolio. You can do that with a mouse click and and we shouldn't waste any time in arguing amongst ourselves about how to do it. Mm. And then the other thing, I suppose, and, and this was another point you brought out, is rather than be overwhelmed by the problem because climate change is, is huge like I'm, I'm one person what can I do about climate change and you talk about breaking down so not being overwhelmed by the whole but breaking it down into sections and one of the things that you're very passionate about is in through the fork tree project is what we can do as individuals on, on a small scale that can have big impact. Can you tell us about that project? Yes, I, th- I think breaking the enormity of any big challenge down into small pieces is super important. It doesn't matter if it's an expedition or combating climate change or taking your own life in a different direction. It's about having a big goal, but then not overwhelming yourself with, with the scale of that, but breaking it down into small pieces. Fork Tree is is kind of my living example of that, I guess. I work in the climate space from a sort of policy point of view. I do a lot of work with trying to change government and corporate organisations' behaviour. But there's nothing quite like planting trees and just thinking with all the talk, it really comes down to the same thing. You know, yes, we decarbonise our economy by driving electric cars and not burning coal, but there's nothing quite like planting trees. And Fork Tree is a, a kind of a case study example of how you do that. So we've got 53 hectares, which is not not big, but it's in a very significant part of the world where most of the rest of the native vegetation has gone. So it's regionally really important. But more than that, it's about showing the tens of thousands of small to medium-sized rural properties how they can play their role in being part of the solution. So thinking about some of those small things, whether it can be planting trees or how we use power, you know, heating 
in our homes, there are things individually we can do that collectively can make a difference? Well, there are. I mean, over 30% of Australia's carbon footprint comes from the energy required to heat, light and cool buildings. Sort of end of story. Uh, each of us have homes that we heat, light and cool. If you want to make your contribution towards cutting our carbon footprint, use less energy. The energy you do use, make it green power. That's a very simple one. That's 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 a conversation with your electricity provider that can happen, you know, tonight when you get home from work. 20 minutes and you're on a green energy uh, plan. Eat less meat. You know, the difference between a, a meat eater who has 21 meals a week, each of them involving meat, a ham in the sandwiches at lunchtime, bacon in the morning for breakfast, a steak in the evening. If you eat 21 meals with meat every every week, try cutting it down to a couple of days we don't have meat or not having it at breakfast or not having it at lunch. Great if you can go vegetarian, I'm vegetarian, but you know if you can't, try cutting it down. 50% of all the land on habitable land on the planet is given over to agriculture. 75% of that 50% is for land for the animals that we eat, basically. Pigs, cows, sheep, chickens. Try, you know, when you travel to work, try, you know, uh, public transport, walking, cycling. You don't have to do it every day, but every day you don't get in the car represents a positive uh, impact you can be you can be having. There are so many things individuals can do in their own lives that may not, on their own, seem very much, but. Measure your own performance against yourself. Try not to keep framing things in the context of how insignificant it might seem to you to be in, in the context of the global situation. Because if everybody does that, no one will do anything. And if everybody does something, then we all make an impact. It, absolutely right. I mean, Australian Super is just one great example that we have 200 times the purchasing power in there. And the, the Green Climate Fund has to, to, to combat climate change. And if we divested from fossil fuels or invested some of that money in some of the solutions, whether it's electric vehicles or renewable energy or even some of the blockchain related technology, it would help fast track those technologies to get to the, to the stage where they're the default technology to use. And, and that would be uh, a game changer. Mm. And so if we swing back around to purpose and leadership, for you, what is a takeaway that you would give, you know, for leaders looking to inspire or to, to direct company with purpose? I think the key thing to remember is why you're doing something, not what it is you're doing. I've said this with fossil fuel-based energy companies before. If your vision for what it is that you represent is to be exploring new resources, serving people with providing them with energy, that why can still be the same. It's just that the what, the way you achieve that is different and you can turn to renewables as a way to achieve that. It's important for people and companies to remember why it is they're doing things, not what it is they do. If all you're focused on is the what, it's very difficult to change. If you're more about why, purposeful leadership, then it's easier to see another path to still achieve that sense of purpose, that why, uh, by doing things differently. Fantastic. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. 
To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that. This is a Narrative Network podcast.